0: Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I, first of all, before everything else, I just want to thank you. Uh, as many of you know, some of you know our story already, but we obeyed God in coming here to England and your kindness and receiving us has mel- made our obedience easier. You're coming to the house, you're dropping off packages, you're giving gifts. It has overwhelmed us and brought my wife to tears sometimes. Um, it has been Beautiful. So I thank you, because it's been an adjustment leaving friends that we've been with for over 15 years, people we've knitted together our hearts and prayed with and seen God answer, and then to be called off to a new place. But you've received us so well, and we can't thank you enough. Thank you. Um, I told Pastor Jonathan that... uh, He probably picked today as a Sunday to do my testimony because it would be a great wrap-up for the book of Job, okay? (laughs) Because it ebbs and flows. Um, But, you know, in Christianity, we throw this word around a lot. It's called salvation. And my life is sprinkled with salvation. Salvation simply means, if you're new, if this is your first time in church, salvation simply means God came to rescue And he rescues as one point when you say, I receive your rescue. All you do is open up your hands and say, I need to be rescued. And he brings you in with such love and grace that you can leave everything else behind because of what you found in him. But salvation doesn't end there, as many of us know. There are challenges in life. There are things that come. And his salvation is there to rescue us time and time again. And that's when we say his salvation is like a rock. That we can stand on. Because it never ends. His salvation does not come to an end. And I hope today, every one of you leaves here with some part of my story and my wife's story too, that the salvation of God becomes real to your heart. Because God's been saving for thousands of years and he's good at it. And he's been speaking to you many ways, whether you know it or not. And he wants to bring you deeper into his own heart. All right? I could tell you lots of things, and so I'll start with my introduction. I have a beautiful wife named Claire. You all see her? Stare, you can... She doesn't need to stand because she's actually radiating in the second row. But, um, and I have five girls. Some of you think I maybe only have four girls under the age of six, but I have one girl who's 22 years old now, and her picture can come on up. Okay, if, if you find it, there she is. in in a very familiar place to most of you she actually studied English in college and I'll talk more about that a little bit later about how college and stuff but um, she's an English major she loves medieval plays and all this kind of stuff that I could never get into but it's kind of she loves England and Ireland and all the all the beautiful plays and poetry that's come out of this land Um, so that's my daughter Molly she's now often married just got a house in Tampa so she's back in Florida Um, and then this is the rest of the crew Okay, yes. if you haven't met Claire, yeah, um, there is next to Claire up front is Abigail, and there's me, and then Audrey, Catherine, is when she was born, the Lord told us she'd be a joy, and she has been a joy to us, I am putty in her hand, um, and this is little Ruthie, okay, this is little Ruthie up front, and so we have four little ones now under the age of six, because Abigail just turned six, but... Um, They're a delight and a challenge. But um, God met me when I was five years old. I know it sounds unbelievable, but I would climb up in my bunk bed at night with my little brother Dennis below. I have seven brothers and sisters. And I would lay on the bed before I went to sleep, and the presence of God would come in the form of a stained glass window, and it sparkled all over the whole vision of my mind. And I was at complete peace with God. I knew his love, I knew his nearness, I knew everything. Life was complete on that upper bunk bed. And as a kid, I even remember when it happened less frequently. There was a night that it didn't come and I thought, oh, God must have to visit more kids because more kids are being born. That was literally my logic as a kid. Okay, he's visiting other people. And I went to bed. I love God. I would go to church with my parents. We were brought up Catholic, and my parents honored Jesus in our home. We had a good home. I had a great childhood. Um, I loved many things about my childhood. And uh, wonderful brothers and sisters, dinner around the table every night. Uh, Just a, a wonderful childhood. But then something terrible happened in our world, in this little village of Owego, New York, Somebody moved in in a position of moral authority in the community and began to uh, harm a whole community of young boys. A whole community of us were just devastated by it. And many of us were devastated in different ways. And a lot of it was buried in secrecy and shame in guilt and torment. All the kind of things that go on. Like, as a kid, you know what's right and wrong. And here's somebody who's supposed to be doing right is doing wrong. And all the confusion that happens within that Um, and it built up so a whole generation of my friends and and the people that I knew complete and utter rebellion we were and it broke out in many different ways but most of us turned to drugs and many other things and it got really difficult I mean drugs almost on a daily basis rebellion I ended up in the hospital one time because I drank so much as a young kid that I had to have my stomach pumped out we were smoking. I, I, I got arrested for vandalism and breaking things up. I was utterly breaking forth inside. But I knew who God was. He met with me. And so on top of it all was this inner guilt that I was living apart from truth. I was living away from God. I was doing exactly what I knew I shouldn't be doing. And so for me and all the other kids in our community, we were just devastated. It broke us. Um... And even thinking about this message, I began to think, oh gosh, that's terrible. But I want to tell you some of the terrible things so you know that whatever you've done, there's still hope. I had a friend, and in a drunken state, I punched her in the face for no reason. I don't, I don't, don't remember why. I blacked out that night, and they dragged me home, and I found out about it later. I punched a kid in school. just walked up to his face and punched him just because I didn't like him that day. The anger and the frustration was just building up. Terrible things. One time in school, and I I mean these are horrible things. You think, oh, you're a pastor, you know. <laughs> we wanted to show a teacher in middle school, and middle school for us is about 13, 14 years old. We were showing a teacher who was in charge. And we were. We had we had control of the classroom. We did. And as ringleader of that, or one of the ringleaders of that, we um, decided we were going to show her one day, just, 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 this was fun for us, um, that we all got up and slapped one of our friends' faces. So all the boys got up in the class at once and slapped this one boy in the face. He'd done nothing wrong. And that's what we were doing for fun. The guilt just piling up on us. The harm we were doing, just spewing out again and again. It was ugly. And you can see that I don't like even remembering these things, but they're part of the story. They're part of who I was becoming because of this harm that had been done to us all. Um, I even at one point wanted to end my life um, stupidly. And I'll share this just because it's really not pretty. Um, I'd been out drinking and doing drugs with my brother's friends. And we were, had a wild time. And when my brother found out about it, he was not happy I was with his friends. Anybody have a brother or sister who kind of protective of their <laughs> friends? My brother was very much protective. And um, when he found out, he was angry with me. And a fistfight ensued in a small bathroom. And I, afterwards, I was just so devastated. With all this drugs in me, I took a whole bottle of uh, uh, ibuprofen. A whole bottle of it. I just, not thinking stupid, just kind of, just stupid. And, uh, but the problem was, that night was my confirmation as a Catholic. I was going to church that night to be confirmed as an adult in the Catholic Church. Crazy. I had a godly man in the church with me that night that I looked up to. But literally, in the middle of the service in front of the bishop, I threw up all over the church. Terrible. I couldn't make this stuff up. I couldn't. Rush me up, clean me up, drag me through the service. I'm a Catholic, okay. Okay. I put a poem on your sheet because all this time period that things were getting ugly, God was calling me to himself. And he's been calling you and everybody for thousands of years. And so I'm going to add my own words into this poem to make sense of it for you. I know some of you are, probably have read this before. But I'm going to ju- try to just add to it because it, really this poem was written 100 years ago, so you kind of got to mull over it and kind of sit before it to really grasp it. But it was written by a man named Francis Thompson who realized that Jesus truly is the one who leaves the one to go after, or leaves the 99 to go after the one. He has that heart to go after. He's continually bursting forth with his love because he doesn't want us to stay in the junk of our lives and the trajectory we're shooting. And he's saying, come this way. I've got a better way. You don't have to go this way. You don't have to live a life of harm. And he's going after us. And this man was gone after I fled him. This is a poem that's on your sheet, and I printed it so you could actually mull over it later. And it's a much longer poem. It's got like 182 lines in it. I've given you about 15 or so. But it says, I fled him, that H is capital. I fled God down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled from him down the labyrinthine ways of my own mind in the midst of tears I hid from him in the mid, and under running laughter up vistas hope, vistas hopes I sped. A sh- and shot precipitated a down titanic glooms of chasm's fears from those strong feet that followed, followed after me. Once again, I'm adding some words in there just to bring it. But with unhurried chase and unperturbed pace with deliberate speed and majestic instancy they beat. And a voice beat more instant than the feet. And this is what God said to him. All things betray thee who betrayest me. Everything we run after in life in the highs and lows, in the moments we feel good, in the moments we don't. Everything else will betray us. It will never satisfy the longing of our soul to know the God who made us. Everything else, the love of God, is the only thing that will not betray. And he's standing there saying, will you continue to betray me? Everything else in the world betrays you. Everything else will let you down. Why do you betray me? Why do you turn your back on me? Why do you hide from me? Why? Those things will not fulfill you. So he's knocking, and he's knocking, and he's speaking, and his voice is raising up, and you hear it over the years. How did he rescue me? How did he speak? How did he pursue me as this great hound of heaven that Francis Thompson wrote about? In the middle of our junk, my mother... Who just recently passed away, who loved Jesus with her whole heart, one night walked down the back stairs of our old Victorian house with a bend in it and the, kind of had like a servant's cord in the back where she rolled down the stairs and broke her arm by breaking her fall on a wall and then continued to roll down the second part, shattering her arm and shattering her hope of continuing to be an artist. Her whole life was devastated. She had six kids at home at that time and her arm was completely shattered, the doctor said. As a kid, I remember going to a church event, standing in front of my mother because nobody could bump her. The fear was that the shards of bone, if they wiggled too much, could go into her blood system and be like shards of glass and do irreparable damage. They were just hoping that the bones would would seal over with calcium so that she could function again. But both radia and ulna were shattered both. My mother sat up one night to hear Jimmy Carter, our our U.S. president from the South, who seemed to be the answer to all the world's problems at that time in my mom's mind, sat up to hear his, his speech. And in the night, she laid on the couch. She said a glow came in the room. And the very physical presence of Jesus Christ came into our house the living room that I watched TV on, that couch my mother laid on, Jesus came and touched her and called my mom by name. Completely, her arm was instantly restored. It wasn't healed. She had two new bones in her arm. Her atheist doctor, years later, on his deathbed, said, Ma'am, I'm calling you back because you're the only miracle I've ever really seen. Please tell me more. She had the doctor x-rays before and after. And it was in a small community. You know that explodes. Everybody hears it. And it was my mom. Was he calling? Was he chasing after me? Yes. Yes. Then a few years later, my brother, my oldest brother, Kevin, was a football guy. And so he didn't go on family vacation with us. He stayed back for what they call double sessions in football. That's American football, um, tackling and a lot of rough stuff. And he stayed behind uh, and stayed with a friend of our families. And in the middle of our vacation, we got a phone call. And mom and dad packed everything up. We jumped in the car and came right back home. And so we knew, as even as kids, we knew something's up. This isn't normal. My brother had experienced a ruptured appendix. Um, not just ruptured, but exploded. His complete insides had been uh, in, uh, infected. I won't get into the details of it, but he developed triple pneumonia on top of it, and uh, he did not look good. And when, when my parents came out of the hospital room, we could see on their faces things were not good. And so it just happened to be, that Saturday night was a special service at our Catholic church called the Charismatic Night. Now that's where all the kind of happy, clappy people got together, and it was a little much. But my parents were in deep, okay? And so we went to that, and I just went because Kevin was hurting. I didn't know where else to turn as a young kid. In the middle of that service, while they're worshiping the Lord, the God who visited me on my bunk bed came. I knew him. I knew him. The young kid, probably 11, 12 years old, I left my pew and ran to the altar. In the middle of a song. They're, it's not altar time. This is some young kid runs down the aisle in a Catholic church in this beautifully ornate facility with, with loud music going. And I lay down at the altar and wept. Wept. They stopped the service. They prayed for Kevin. <sighs> Had he not been healed, he would have been dead. My life would have been totally different. But God came. And I saw my brother come back to life. Color returned to his face. His body was clean. And the doctor said, I've lost better patients than you. Every time he went for a checkup, I've lost better patients than you. I don't know how you made it. And so God was there. But did my rebellion cease? Amazingly not. Amazingly not. With all these things going on, you'd think, come on. Why are you so stupid? You know, come get, get with it. But it didn't. It didn't. My rebellion and my frustration and my shame and guilt got worse and worse. And I had all the encouragement of my friends along with me that we were getting deeper and deeper into drugs. This is how God really one night totally came after me as a great hound of heaven. And that's why I relate to this poem so much. I had my coming of age party like when I was 16 or 17 years old. I was invited to a basement party where there were pool tables, free beer, no parents around. This was great. All the most cool people were there. and uh, In the middle of it, the prettiest girl in school, the girl that I thought was amazing, in fact I later wrote her a poem and almost got beat up for it. but this girl <laughs> comes up to me. I'm glad I had older brothers because they saved me. But, um, uh, Literally, I just, she came up to me, to me, in the middle of this, hands me a beer and says, she's no church background. My moment of glory, like, oh, wow. She goes, hey, I heard your mom was healed by Jesus. Oh, how do you bring him in here? No. I wanted to hide. I couldn't stay. He'd come. He came. And he invaded my time. He was chasing after me. Girl, don't you have any guilt? You were And And needless to say, the conversation ended. I mean, there was no further. God only knows why I wrote her poem. I don't know. Um, and then... As, as the difficulties were increasing and I got arrested and I ended up in the hospital and all these other things, a man came up to me, not a strong man, not a man that I looked up to or really admired. He was kind of a petite, small man. He was, uh, I didn't know, I'd see him a lot because he was uh, the stepfather of um, one of my friends. And he was part of this charismatic renewal And he handed me a letter. I knew it was difficult for him. I knew he wasn't a brave man. I knew, I just knew it wasn't in his character really. But he bridged that gap and he handed me this letter. I knew it was awkward for him. I knew it was vulnerable. And he said, I saw you and I saw your expression. And my heart went out to you. And he just poured out love to me in this kind way. And said, after all my years, I found that the only hope is Jesus. And I hope you find him too. And I thought, wow. I know he took a risk. I know that cost him something. I know that. Why would he come up to me, the kid with the black Sabbath t-shirt on, who's angry half the time? Why would he talk to me this way? But he did. And I encourage you, just as a, a word here, take the risk. Take the risk. If you have a niece or nephew or somebody going astray or somebody you know needs a touch of Jesus, bridge that awkwardness. Blow it out of the way and just say, I want love to come through. I want to take the risk. I don't care what they think. I don't care their perspective of me. I want to see life come. I challenge you, if you think of somebody who's going astray, reach out. Don't let them keep going. That man has no idea. Well, he, he did. He saw me get saved. But he, he didn't know the impact of that letter. But it was important. Oh, if I could talk all the rebellion, there's a lot I could say. But there was one moment where my parents had a there was itinerant ministers, and I think my mom scheduled it so that the wife would come to the house and uh, would just, you know, Bill will be around and Brian will be around and I can kind of get the gospel in somehow, you know. Uh, and so I literally came home, went straight upstairs, put my darkest T-shirt on, and I went down to the kitchen where I knew this lady was and I sat right next to her on our bench like, I'm in your face. You come here and I am in your face. I was angry. I was angry. I was pent up frustration and I'm sure she felt this darkness just descend upon the room and with the honesty of heaven she said to me Jesus loves you and so do I. Oh my goodness give me something to argue with (laughs) it was like somebody came and pulled the spine out of my back. And I know. if I had any fight, it just left me. It's like, ah! I really was like dumbfounded. Like, it was real. It wasn't just some soft words. It was real. This woman loved Jesus, and she loved me. And I had nothing to fight. So I tell you this. I radically the next week gave my life to Jesus Christ. I think I sat in the back pew of this long Catholic church and I went up for the altar call and I was radically saved. I mean, I went in his darkness and I came out light. But I guess also before that week too, I knew that I I was serving the devil too in my life and I was afraid that he was going to take me to hell. I mean, there's all these kind of things going on because the enemy was really trying to hold me back. But I just, the reality of all was coming in And I was so radically changed and so cleansed. There might have even been some deliverance at that altar. I don't even remember. It was just glorious. But um, the principal, and I guess you call them the head teachers here. I had a head teacher who had the unpleasant opportunity to follow me up from middle school all the way to high school. He had taken drugs away from me in middle school, and I was constantly in his office. And here I am in high school causing the same kind of problems. And I come in whew, completely new. Mm-hmm. Completely new. I, I, nobody can make it happen. Nobody can take a soul from A to B. Only God himself. Mm-hmm. And a friend of mine, well, not a friend, but a, a friend of a friend, was standing next to him. And he stood in the lobby one day when I was walking through. And I guess he kind of went like this. He said, who is that kid? completely dumbfounded that God could make such a change in somebody's life. And so the testimony went through everything, through the whole school at least. And it was radical. It was like God was changing hearts and minds. Um, for years after that, I was completely sold out on Jesus. I served him every chance I could. I did all kinds of things in college and radical stuff. We were out on the streets. We were, and even after college, I... Um, we open up a coffee house in my hometown or we're preaching the gospel. But I need to tell you this. Even after your first rescue, you may need to be rescued again and again and again and again. Because the enemy sends disappointments, confusion, and one of the first things he targets is your expectation in God. And he'd love to have you go from here to saying, God, you can do everything to. Well, maybe. He wants you to be diminished and live in a state not full of rejoicing, not full of hope, but diminished expectation is what I call it. He wants to keep you there and grind you down and leave a door open for every time something wrong goes to say, see, see, see. And in this coffee house, we amazingly got to see kids rescued out of um, Wicca. There was a whole little coven... And yeah, it was, and we got to see them coming out, and it was a mixture for a while because you didn't know whose side they were really serving. I mean, there was, there was, but they were coming through, and they were coming to life. And uh, we come under spiritual attack, and that's all I can say. And I want to elaborate here, but literally, um, things broke out that I'm, I'm 20 years old or so, just out of college. I was in charge of this coffee house. I was. I'm, they knew I loved Jesus, and they put me in charge. And I, I mean, we rose it up, and I had ministry teams and all this. And everything just started falling apart at the seams. And I, I won't elaborate, but my heart was like, there's nobody here to help me. There's nobody here coming to my rescue. I don't know what to do. I see terrible things happening. The kids were still saved. There were still good things, but it's like, it's not supposed to be this way. And so in this confusion and turmoil, I did make it through, and I I never stopped serving God. I was always in the church serving. But my hope and expectation had been diminished. And I say this because it was said to me a long time ago, there's an expression, at least in America, that says, time heals wounds. It doesn't. Time only helps to heal clean wounds. Time can help an infection grow. When we bring our disappointments and our failures and all the things that come against us in this life to Christ, he cleanses them and raises up our expectation so that we can hope again. I'd like to say I did at that time. I didn't. I was a lost kid to some degree um, because I didn't have any figures come in and help me. Then I did, I guess, what most guys do is when that wasn't working, I found a girlfriend. Uh, I thought I was doing well. I got my granddaughter's pastor and I married her. And uh, within three years, she'd fallen in love with her boss, and uh, all hell broke loose. It got really ugly. Um, Not so much on my end, but he was married too. And, uh, oh my, yeah. Oh my. The courts awarded me full custody of my daughter for a long time. I was raising her. I was able to give my whole life to raising her. And in the middle of all that, I started going to um, Pastor Mark's church. And I'll tell you this. We were a small band of people seeking God. We were encouraging one another. We were holding up the word of God. I was probably a little flaky before Pastor Mark because I, I, the word of God wasn't as, as rock solid in me. I was a little more maybe on the John end of things, I guess you'd say, kind of. Um, but Being there, I got rooted in truth and in the word. And also seeking God again. And God came through. God came amazingly. Talk about blasting his light forth. Just check the time. Oh gosh, I'm really close to the end. Uh, What ended up happening is, God called me to some very simple acts of obedience. And and some of them, you'd think, why could that help you? One of the acts of obedience was, when I'm sitting on the phone talking to my family, don't play a game on the computer. My sisters can talk, and I like to stay connected, partially. So I had in my mind, I'm not going to waste my time. I'll at least get through a couple levels of free cell. You know, I'll knock off a couple more challenges mindless stuff, but I didn't want to waste my time. And God said, don't. So I thought, what's that got to do with seeking God? And so I started doing it and listening and hanging up sooner. Um, But uh, (laughs) and then he called me to something I hadn't realized I was doing. Every time I was praying in my house, what I did was I turned on the dishwasher, I, sand, I, I started the virus scanner, or I did the laundry. And he convicted me. He said, don't do any of those things when you come to me. Because that idea of wasting my time was still there. If God doesn't come through, at least the laundry will be done. If God doesn't come through, at least the, vi- the c- computer will be clean. It literally was, it was, it was hard for me too. Like, like, I could waste my time. What if nothing happened? You know? It's not a waste of time. It's never, don't treat me that way. I'm not just a man. I'm God. And so he's saying, I needed to spend time listening. I needed to spend time putting time aside just for him. And it broke through, because in a weekend encounter, at Focal Point, we have this weekend away, and it's, I went to many of them, and one of them, nothing dramatic happened, but I had one thing in my mind leaving. I knew I was supposed to go home and sit on the couch and let God, as a father, put his arm around me and be a father to me. Now, I have a wonderful father. I have the best father, probably better than everybody else in this room, I'm sorry. Great dad. I have a great dad. And so I thought, I don't have fatherhood issues. I don't. I don't think I do. I was loved. I was cared for. But as I sat there, And I realized my need to come to him as a child. And a child opens their heart and receives. They don't say, no, I got it all together. I need your love. I need your help. I need the sweetness of your counsel. I need you. I need you, God. I need the love of a father. I need you through everything. I can't do this without you well. And as I sat there on a repeated basis... The kingdom of God broke forth in my house. Like, I cannot tell you, it was like what we now call an altar. I am not a homebody. I don't like to be home. But after God came and broke forth in my house, I raced home after work every day to be with God because God was in my house. I would dance before him. I would rejoice. One day I was in the corner next to my couch because God was in my house, and I was curious like a child, like, who are you today? I was literally enamored with him. I wanted to know who he was. It was my, my whole heart was wrapped up in him. And my daughter had, kind of funny story, my daughter had spent a week with her mom, and she was coming back, and I thought, oh my goodness, she's going to think I'm crazy. This is, I mean, it was, I was, it was wonderful. But how do you bring somebody into this, like just start? And she comes in the house, I prayed about it too and God kind of covered it. Okay, I'm not going to worry about this. I came into, the, she came into the house, we got home from school and within a half hour or so, both of us were dancing in the presence of the Lord. He completely caught her up to speed. Completely. It was just like glorious. If you haven't danced with your kids in the Lord, it's a blessing. Okay? Um, there are other things too in there and I, I want to kind of move up because I don't want you to miss this one thing. Uh, one of the things, too, in that time period was resisting sin. All of us have moments where we're uncomfortable, we're longing for something to be fulfilled, and we turn to sinful things. Whether it be alcohol, whether it be lust, whether it be um, video games or whatever, we look for something to bring us comfort and a feeling of success. And there was a real tug on my heart one night to find this comfort. And I resisted and I went to bed crying. I know that sounds silly, but it had that much of a hold on my heart. I went to bed crying, and I woke up the next day, and I realized something had broken. Something had broken inside of me. In fact, a few days later, I I got to bed, and I realized, wait a minute. There's something missing. There's loneliness. It's gone. And I wasn't even aware of any level of loneliness. like... so God was doing amazing things he even had prophetic words that he spoke to me in prayer and I I shared them with Pastor Mark one day in fact he called me he goes God told me to call you and I said yes 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 I heard this for this person and this and I don't generally have words I didn't at that time and Pastor Mark said you call them right away and they spoke specifically to things people were going through that I barely knew and so God was really moving and just kind of going awesome things But, um, oh, I could tell so many good stories. But I want to tell you this last season. Um, We're running very late, though. Okay. Okay. About three years ago, I'd been at Focal Point for 15 years. My whole life was wrapped up in Focal Point. It was, we traveled to Uganda together. We learned about prayer together. We learned about all these things. My heart was knit. I never saw my life outside of focal point. I never. Because even during that time period, after, oh, I totally skipped that bit. God even spoke to me one day and said, in the middle of a worship service, he said, you'll be teaching for two more years. And I had just said, God, you can have my life. I want to give you my whole life. It was like going to a new level. And he said, you'll be teaching two more years. I taught 14 years. It was my security. That's all I ever did. And I was good at teaching. I was nationally board certified. I was the top notch in, in our country. That's the highest rating you can get. I had my master's in it. I was a good teacher. And he said, two more years. And I rejoiced that God would call me to join him in his work. That he could adjust my life to come into his kingdom and purposes. And let me tell you, I was so excited. Like, yes! And I, But I love teaching. And um, So two years goes on that whole two year season, and um, I got a little rocky. I said, God, I'm going to be out on the streets. I don't have that much savings. I'm not. I was a teacher, for goodness sake, and and I'm a single dad. My daughter's going to see me on the streets. And literally, this is what I cried out to God: My daughter's going to see me on the streets. I'm going to lose my house. She's going to have to go live with her mom. And how are you going to get glory from that, God? Tell me, God, how, and this was a real prayer in my heart, like, God, how are you gonna get glory from this? God said one thing pierced through everything. He said, the greatest gift you could give your daughter is to show her a man that follows after me. (laughs) Oh my God, he knows how to speak. That was exactly the concern of my heart. He went right through everything. Every other concern about, family, I was, cons- at the depth of it, that's where my heart was. Little did I know, a week later, because I'm coming close to the end, I finally announced to my family what I was going to do. And my sister calls. I was unaware that this was a planned intervention. And I'm on the phone, and I'm thinking, Oh my goodness, she's concerned about this. Well, this, is, this has happened, and this has happened, and I know this is God. Well, da 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 and nothing's affecting me. Like she's affected my. When your family loves you, it's love, but it can hinder you. And so she's saying all this, and then finally she says, "Well, Dennis, my brother, went to your former pastor in a week ago, and talked to him about your case, and that's when my mind went. They what?" They've been working on this call. This has been set up. Oh, my. And I started laughing like, oh, boy, this is a big one. (laughs) But God had so secured my heart that it was like, it wasn't tearing me down. My faith was strong. And she got angry like, like, don't you? I said, Tom doesn't know where I'm at. He hasn't talked to me. He doesn't know what God said. He doesn't know how clear it was. It is clear. I can't get away from the call of God. God. And she said, don't you know you have a daughter? Like, oh, Maureen. <laughs> Only God could have prepared my heart for that. Yeah. Only him, he could have shielded my heart that the greatest gift I could give to my daughter was to show her a man that followed after him. Okay, long story short, I'll wrap this up. About <clears throat> two years ago, I hit uh, a lull. Um, I even said to Pastor Mark, I feel like I'm in a midlife crisis. I've lost hope, I've lost strength, I've lost power. It was actually probably coming in for a year before that too. And I don't know my place here anymore. I don't feel like I have a place. I literally said that. And that was hard for Pastor Mark to hear. Before that, the church had even had a word that new things were coming. We prayed into that. My wife had a sense we were moving. I wasn't hearing much from God at the time. Okay, we're moving, maybe 20 minutes away, we'll... Well, we were going to be a retreat center. That's what our first thought was. Oh, okay, we'll we'll help the church and we'll make a retreat center. We'll we'll be a place where people come and get nourished and fed and go to services or whatever. Um, and then we were seeking God, and there was a time of consecration prayer. And the Lord spoke to my heart in Psalm twenty-seven. It says, "O oh, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire of His temple." And it struck me that this isn't normal worship. This is not just go to church and say a prayer. This is a man in love with his God. And then if you read Psalm 27, I challenge you, take it home. Right before it, it says, I'm surrounded by my enemies. And after it says, though my enemies surround me. So in the middle of real enemies with real spears and real whatever they had, arrows, whatever, real enemies, he could get to this place of complete release of every concern in the world and say, oh but to gaze upon the Lord and to inquire of his temple. His heart was in another place. It wasn't determined by his circumstances. And I literally, for a week or two, took that before the Lord every time, and it was my open door to prayer. If you know what I'm talking about, there's a place where you can meet God and say, oh God, I want to see your beauty. I want to inquire of your temple. And it was a meeting, and in one of our leadership prayers at church, because even though I wasn't technically in leadership, I was still part of the church and part of the leadership, I was, I'll open up this And I was reading the word, Psalm 27. God, I want your beauty. And I just started crying because I didn't know where God was taking us. I didn't know. So much uncertainty had come before us. And when I was all done with prayer, I saw that one teardrop had fallen on the Bible. It wasn't on the verse that I was reading. It was on Psalm 30. And Psalm 30 says, Though weeping may last for the night, joy will come in the morning. God in heaven, I literally sat there for a moment. Did you make me eat an extra muffin so that the, my roundness of my cheek was out there so the teardrop would fall exactly on the right verse? Like, what did you do to arrange this, God? How did you make this happen? That out of all the places on this page, one tear would fall on one verse so that I would know and I couldn't deny that you were telling me hope was coming. Only God could do it. And if you doubt He speaks, He speaks many different ways. But He is coming after you. Whether you've already prayed or you are in a place of diminished hope, He wants to rise you up to the fullness of your calling. He wants to take you in. He's not throwing you aside. He never leaves or forsakes. He is after you. You might not hear it, but His voice will echo through. And then many people witness this in our small group because this is a, a miracle for us. that happened before everybody else because we shared our hearts with our friends. We had no direction. We were crying out. We were driving up to see my parents one day and a lady from England, a friend of Claire's, says, hey, I've been praying about you guys and I think you should come to England to pray for a month. And so I've asked a friend of mine who owns this really nice manor home and a nice cottage on the land, would you, come, would you open up your house for us for a whole month for this family? And we thought, well, maybe. It's kind of out of the blue. The very next day, Pastor Mark calls and says, Bill, I know things are still uncertain. Would you consider being put on a list of potential candidates? Just, just put it out there to go to England. Now, Pastor Mark, years ago after I left teaching, I was working at a garden center for a season, and I, there's so many good stories I can't tell you. But pastor after God told me that I was going to be helping pastor Mark and I couldn't share cuz there was already an assistant pastor there and I couldn't I couldn't do anything he told me I was going to be his assistant pastor and then like 3 months later or so pastor Mark wakes up in the middle of the night and God says to him Bill's going to be your assistant pastor and so pastor Mark calls me on the phone and says Bill I got something to tell you what do you think about this da, 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 da. would you consider being an assistant pastor I said yes his response was don't you need to go pray about it? (laughs) I said, no, God's already spoken, Mark. Three uh, three months ago or so, he told me. And so here comes Mark again, the day after this lady offered us a cottage, saying, Bill, would you consider being put on a potential list? England again? Then, we had a friend in our group, just before this, who prophesied, who'd been praying for us, because she knew the struggle we were going through, said, I believe you're going to become a pastor in England. That was, and we said no, thank you. Um, we, uh, sorry, sorry, nothing against England. We love England. I love York, and I love England. But, and we weren't saying no to God. We were just saying that does, that's not on our radar right now. Fast forward, and some of you have heard this story. Margaret and Rick in your church uh, were in Canada or in, in California, and I and Claire came back from New York and started seeking God about this England thing. And we looked in the visas, and the visas looked so expensive that we thought, this is a no deal. This has gotten kind of a deal breaker. It was just too expensive. And we learned more later. So we went to that night. We called the family altar, like the Ugandans had told us. Bring the whole family in. Let your kids know when there's a crisis so that when they grow up, they know how to handle a crisis too. If you pray in a closet when there's trouble, your kids won't know how to. So even though they're only five, and, you know, we brought them in. They only understood so much. And so we cried out to God. The next day, Rick had tried to call me for a couple days and we couldn't reach. So the next morning we had scheduled a Skype call and he told me this. We, we cried out the night before for the money, for the visas. And, and if this is your will, God, you're going to have to open up a door. Rick was in a church in uh, California and the pastor said, hey, let's do communion different today. Let's form a small group of the people around you and let's pray for each other and then we'll take communion together. So there they are, the whole Hilton family and some other people from this church. And at the end of it, they had a conversation about England. Trump was over here then and they were over there. And so this conversation, Rick and Margaret can tell you more. But at the end of it, they said, here's $500 for the blessing that exists between the UK and the US. And instantly, Rick and Margaret thought, this isn't for us. They went back to their room and prayed and they thought, this is for the McCanns. So the day after we sought God as a family to come here, he calls and says, I have $500 handed me by a perfect stranger in a church who said this is for the blessing between the UK and the US. And so even though this has been a bumpy for us and and certainly challenging at times, God gave us a firm foundation to stand on, saying this is where we're supposed to be. This is where we're supposed to be. And so once again, I want to thank you for making it easy for us. You've embraced us. You've graciously brought us in. And we feel loved already. We thank you. And if you are sitting here today and something has provoked your heart, that you know that God is real and he's been calling you, I ask that we just take a moment to bow our heads. Father God, you are the God who rescues so we lift up our hands to you and say rescue us to yourself rescue us to yourself rescue me from my fears my doubts my lack of hope my diminished hope. Rescue me from all that seems to be weighing against me, God. I want to put the fullness of my hope and trust in you. God, I want the vision of you to come again. Oh, to gaze upon the beauty of your kind love, to see your face clearly, to embrace you, God. I tell you that I need you. God, I don't want to just sit. I want to need you. I want to admit my need to you today that I need a father. I need the love of God. I need more than what I'm running after. God, take me back to yourself and restore my hope and lead me to your son, I pray. Amen and amen.